This is Erin from the Touchy Subjects Podcast. This episode is a part of our Touchy Subjects Takeover Series, and we are glad to have Brad Klossman back on the podcast, this time hosting this episode that I've titled, To the Pastors That Caused Me Trauma. As we will be discussing a sensitive subject matter on this episode, please be advised that some of this content may be difficult to hear, and we here on the Touchy Subjects Podcast encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. Now let's get into it. Thank you for joining us today. Um, here we have Erin Billings with us today. She is um, not only a friend of mine, but someone who has a fantastic story of struggle and redemption, um, a story that um, inspires people um, to continually see the good um, and, and the love uh, that can be shown and demonstrated, um, to one another. And so I'm happy to be here to interview her, uh, on her podcast, uh, <laughs> taking over. <laughs> She's allowed me to do that. And so I'm very appreciative of that. And so Aaron, thank you for being here today. Thank you for, um, being willing to answer my questions. Um, well, thank you for, uh, interviewing me because I'm very particular with who, uh, I talk to on this on this touchy subject, so you, I couldn't think of a better person to do this with. Well, I, I am truly honored. So, um, I, I I am thankful that you are standing up and speaking truth um, and encouraging others uh, to do the same. So, I'm looking forward to asking you these questions and hearing more of your story and um, how we can um, heal. Um, throughout it. So that's without it, further ado, let's go ahead and uh, get started. Does that sound good? Yes. All right. So Aaron, uh, tell us a little about yourself and what you do. So I'm a musician. Um, I've, I've been a musician since the age of three. Um, my grandmother started teaching me piano when I was three and music is kind of our family thing. Um, I remember being four years old. My mom taught me as we were moving from New Mexico to South Carolina. Um, she was teaching me four-part harmony to the Gaither Vocal Band, if anybody <laughs> out there is familiar with them. Um, so that she would say, say, okay, now sing the soprano, now sing the alto. And that's what I was doing at four years old. Um, wow. But I'm very thankful because I've had the opportunity to tour the world making music with incredible artists. Um, I produce records, I orchestrate music, I manage artists, I teach. Um, I went to school and I studied church music at Lee University. And then after college, I toured and worked in churches as small as 300 and as large as 6,000 plus. Um, now I am a production consultant and I'm actually starting my agency this year. Oh, that's very interesting. Very cool. Um, so you have all the gifts and talents that I have none. Of. So well done. Um, I've always admired people with those gifts and talents. So tell us, uh, can you give us a little bit more information about your religious background? Sure. Um, I was raised Pentecostal, uh, in the church of God of the Cleveland, Tennessee persuasion. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a joke because most people don't realize that there are two churches of gods. And so you have to be very specific when you are church of God and say, 
tr- Cleveland, Tennessee is the denomination. But um, I was, I'm fifth generation Church of God, uh, which means very little to anybody outside of the Church of God. But in the Church of God, that is like you, that's a, that is a huge like pride point. Um, my grandfather was a pastor. My mom was a worship leader and choir director turned pastor. Um, at one point I counted 26 people in my family that had ministry jobs. So church is really my family's business. It's, uh, it's definitely an interesting world I live in. Wow. Okay. I did not realize that there were two different churches of God, um, or, or how far back your uh, family goes in the generational part of it. So that's very impressive. Um, I, I, I learned something new every day, right? So, right. Um, so you've been very successful and you've had a huge impact uh, within the lives of many people um, considering what you've done. How do you show the love of Jesus in a world that is struggling to find hope? Well, for me, it's all about loving people. Um, I, I say this often, but I, I have two rules in life. The first is love your neighbor, and the second is do no harm. I want to hold space for people that are hurting and let them know that they're not alone. Let them know that it's okay to grieve, and it's okay to leave, and it's okay to wrestle, and it's okay to heal. Um, holding space for people to heal and grow. I think that's how I show God's love. Um, I'm definitely not one of those Christ followers that wants to shove anything religious down somebody's throat. Right. Right. No. And, and, and I've known that the, the brief amount of time I've, I've known you or listen to your podcasts, um, you're not someone like that. Um, you know, and so that's one of the things I appreciate about you. Uh, so knowing that you have grown up in the church and, you know, obviously surrounded by family, obviously considering how many generations you go back, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> held positions in church. Um, how did this impact your leadership within the church? I would say that it was great until it wasn't. Um, I think it really comes down to the fact that I was super sheltered. Um, All of the ministers in my family, they're wonderful people. Um, They would give you the shirt off their back. They, They truly embody what service looks like. They put God first and they have the mindset that they're called to serve people. And that's really what they do. Um, I was in this little Christianese bubble where church hurt or religious trauma didn't exist, at least to my knowledge. Mm. And I think that was because they did a really good job in like protecting me like that. I, I think that was, you know, as I talked to my mother now as an adult, I think she kept those kind of things away from me, trying to protect me. Um, and so it wasn't really until I got out of college at Lee until that bubble popped, <laughs> you know, as, as a leader working in the church, I tried to emulate everything that I had witnessed in my upbringing. I served, I busted, I busted my butt. <laughs> like I, 
I work 60 plus hours on a regular basis. And I did it because that's what I was conditioned to think was normal in a church employment situation. And I think that is something that we could unpack later on is that conditioning of what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> that's, sure. that's a whole word right there. <laughs> that it is. Um, so knowing your experiences within the church, uh, what are some of the different hats you've worn in the church? <laughs> what hat didn't I wear? <laughs> that's, that's more of the question. Right. Um, it might be easier to ask it that way, right? <laughs> Well, I was never a pastor. (laughs) That was, uh, that was not meant to be shade towards you. Uh, that was more of a, um, I don't think people considered me to be spiritual enough to be a pastor because I didn't go around like speaking in tongues and laying hands on people. That was just, that's not who I am, but, uh, neither did I. (laughs) (laughs) You were Baptist. So I know (laughs) you're speaking in tongues. They're going to cast something out of you. (laughs) But to answer your question, um, I've held multiple positions working in churches. I've been a contract musician where you just show up and play. Um, I've been the music director where I had to run rehearsals, plan music, orchestrate music, schedule the department, oversee the budget, the list goes on and on. Um, I've been a production director where I've had to oversee the media, the cameras, the sound. I've been a creative director where I write custom content for conferences and conventions and productions and revivals. Uh, And then after all of that, I became a consultant where I go into churches and I tell them how to take their music and their production to the next level. Um, I haven't been doing as much of that now that I'm kind of deconstructing openly because, well, churches, churches don't want you to say, Hey, I support gay people. Um, in fact, the last, uh, church interview that I was on, they were like, yeah, you're going to have to cool it with the like LGBTQ plus affirming, uh, rhetoric. And I said, well, that's probably not going to happen. So uh, catch you later. But anyways, what I discovered in different stages of my career was that church wasn't what I thought it was growing up. And that Christianese bubble that I mentioned that I keep bringing up uh, before, it kept me safe. But after that bubble popped, I had this major realization that church was not a safe place for me. Wow. Okay. So, wow, that's, that's kind of heavy right there. Um, so while you're wearing these different hats, okay. Um, and you're discovering how everything works behind the scenes, um, you know, or even just out in front of you, um, what were some major things um, that you personally discovered within, well, certain areas that you, uh, you worked? Um, I discovered a lot. Um, I discovered a lot about myself, you know, because I was raised in that Christianese bubble and don't get me wrong. I'm very thankful for my upbringing. I, I love my family and, uh, you know, I 
don't necessarily regret the way that I was raised. I think that I could have done without the religious trauma aspect of it um, in a lot of ways, but I'm very, I'm still very thankful and connected to my upbringing uh, or as my mother would call it, my heritage. Um, But some of the challenges that I've encountered over the course of my career were all mainly because I was in leadership and because I was female. Um, You know, just to give you an example, wage gap is a thing. Um, I did comps while I was working at a mega church of people doing the same exact role that I was doing, but I was getting paid twenty-five dollars and $35,000 less than they were. And I had the same educational background. I had the same, if not more experience, but because I was female and I, you know, maybe I don't want to say that it was because I was female, but that just seems to be the only thing that I could come up with as to why I would be paid so much less than somebody that was male, you know, and there's that large wage gap. I've always felt like I've been the token female. Like I can point back to being the only girl on drumline or the only girl in the rhythm section. You know, I got used to it and it didn't bother me until I was working in church. And that's just so funny to me because I was more protected and respected on a drumline with non-Christian dudes than I was working in church. Wow. Like that's mind blowing to me. I experienced sexual harassment multiple times while working as a church employee. And that doesn't include the victim blaming that I also received while, or when I reported it, which a lot of people don't even realize is also a form of sexual harassment. You know, just to give you a few examples of what I've experienced, um, comments like, I bet you like it thick like that. Um, Holy, yeah. Is this dress Versace because it should be on the floor? That comment was made right after Bruno Mars' uh, 24 Karat Magic album came out with the song Versace on the floor, just in case you need that cultural context. Um, I was accused of being pregnant in a creative team meeting, which anybody that knows working in church, there's purity culture in play where you can get fired if they know that you're having sex out of wedlock. So like imagine like this weird cluster of being accused in front of God and everybody of being pregnant. And also knowing that if I, if something like that were to happen, I would get fired immediately. So there's that. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, Which by the way, just, for everybody out there listening, you can't accuse somebody of being pregnant in the workplace. That is sexual harassment. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Uh, I was accused of my sexual preference being black genitalia. And that one really bothered me. Um, because, yeah, well, it's because I was really close to a person who was black. And so they made comments about me and him 
And like they would make these comments in the creative team meeting. Like I was mortified, mainly because I don't feel like that's stuff that we should be talking about. Like I talk about, you know, stuff like that with my bestie, but you can, yeah, I'm not talking about that with the pastors on staff at my church. I'm sorry, but that's just awkward. Um, And then beyond that, you know, inappropriate emotional connections. So what I mean by that is, you know, as a single female, I always tried to stay in my lane when it came to married men. And so when men came to me with their issues with their wives, that is an inappropriate emotional connection because you should not be talking to somebody about your concerns with your marriage that's outside of your marriage. Like whether you're Christian or not, that's just kind of one of those boundaries because that can lead to like emotional affairs. And so I, you know, these are just a few of the experiences that I've had uh, working in church. And so, yeah, it was, it was something. I, I cannot even imagine um, any of that. That is just, that's beyond me. I've never heard of that, um, at least in the churches. I, well, actually, let me take that back. I have experienced that in the last church I was in, okay? Um, so it is real, and it is evident. And, and when you bring, your, bring attention to that, I, I, I see it now um, even more clearly. The comments that were made around me about other things that were inappropriate, and there was a, there was a female worker there, or whatever have you. So it is, it is a very valid, um, valid point you're making. I don't think people even realize it. One of the people that I've worked with, um, who was a close friend, he always said, "How would you like it if somebody made these comments to your daughter?" If you wouldn't say it to your daughter, you probably shouldn't be saying it to any woman. Yeah, very, very, <laughs> very, very true. Um, I honestly, I'd probably want to punch them in the throat if they said it to my daughter. Right? I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's it's real, uh, you know. And, and and let me just validate what you're saying. The last church I was at. Um, that there's a gentleman that should have been fired for the comments he made. And instead, it was brushed on the rug and she left. Um, so it, what you're saying is very valid. So going through a lot of that, okay, or all of that, I should say, um, how did you handle this challenge? I mean, like, how did, how did you, uh, yeah, how did you overcome this challenge? I would say that I'm still in the process of overcoming this challenge. I honestly think that doing this podcast episode with you, this is part of my healing journey. Um, I can tell you the first time that it happened, I was still in school at Lee University. And so I went to one of my church music advisors and I told them what happened. And they told me to keep my mouth shut get an exit plan together. And so that's what I did that first time. And that worked for me. Um, 
I think looking back, there should have been a little bit more accountability, but also I understand why that professor told me that because I, th I think in a lot of ways they want to protect the church instead of protecting the individual. Um, and I don't think it was any like malicious intent behind him telling me to keep my mouth shut and get an exit plan together. I don't, I don't think it was that because this person is a wonderful person. I just think that everybody's initial response is always to protect the church. And I can't say that I subscribe to that ideal anymore. Um, case in point, the next church was an entirely different situation. Um, it was very toxic. Um, you know, I love the TV show on HBO Max, um, The Righteous Gemstones. Um, I just started watching that. <laughs> listen, it is amazing. But part of the reason I think I love it so much is because it reminds me of one of the churches that I worked at. And so I just tell people, if you've seen that show, imagine Kelvin Gemstones or Gemstone from The Righteous Gemstones. Imagine he was your pastor and the creative team had locker room conversations the way that a lot of those team members from that church on the TV show had. That was the world that I lived in for several years. Mm. And by the time that I got fired for insubordination, translation, I was no longer under their mind control the toxic environment that had been in place, it was it had been there for years. And so when I left that church, everything internally imploded. Um, that was a horrible exit. I did not have an exit plan together for that one. Um, and uh, granted, I think I saw it happening. I was ready. I, I was trying to make my exit plan because I think the light bulb finally went off that I was being abused. Um, and so when I left, I, I was in a horrible place. I was in a horrible emotional place. And thank God for a close pastor friend of mine. He counseled me through that year. And I swear to you, had it not been for that counseling, I'm not sure I would have made it. Um, the years of narcissistic gaslighting and manipulation and emotional abuse, it really, it just weighed on me heavily. Um, and when that light bulb went off after a year of my best friend telling me that I was being abused, it was a time of personal reckoning. Like I, I lost a lot of close friends from this situation. I lost my best friend from this situation. I lost my brother from this situation and not my blood brother, but he might as well have been. Um, I felt very betrayed for a long time until my empathy kicked in. Um, I knew that I was healing when I could have empathy for the people that had abused me. 
I'm not giving any of them a pass. What they did was wrong. And one day I hope that they can acknowledge it. But I can at least have compassion for their situation. And as I heal and grow, I've realized that we're all just reacting from trauma responses. I know I was. I didn't even know how to process my emotion until all of this happened. Like literally when things got ugly, I shut down. I was shut down for years. Uh, So to answer your question, at the time that I left this church, I did not handle this situation well. I had a trauma response. And I know after several years of counseling that I would handle that situation much differently now. And I wouldn't have let it get to that place had I had the toolkit that I have now. Wow. That, that's incredibly powerful. So uh, you said the light bulb came on, okay? Like you saw things for what they were um, after all those years of abuse. Um, what are some red flags that women who are now in ministry um, should recognize you be aware of in the church? Well, for me, it all stems back from a very pivotal moment in my career. Um, and actually one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Um, I was at a pastor's and church leaders conference at New Life Church in Colorado Springs a while ago. And Pastor Brady Boyd, he preached a very unconventional message at that leadership conference. Um, And he told us, he set it up. He was like, I do not want to preach this message, but I feel like I have to. And boy, was he right. Like the, the name of the sermon was how to have an affair. And in the sermon, he laid out 13 steps to an affair. And as a single woman, I remember sitting there listening and I like I was literally tracking as he was preaching the 13 steps to have an affair. I'm sitting I'm sitting there making mental notes of, okay, everybody gets to step three. I know that I personally have been to step six with this person, or I've been to step eight with this person. Like I was sitting there mentally making notes of like, Oh my God. And the thing is, is that this isn't some like churchy message. This is very logical and practical. And I swear to you, every pastor and church leader needs to listen to this message. Like if you can go back and find it, I highly recommend it because I mean, honestly, they should teach this in leadership courses that doesn't have anything to do with church. Uh, Like it's, it's that good. And so, you know, I'm sitting there tracking along with his sermon and making these mental notes. And, you know, as a single woman, it's a totally different situation working in a church because you don't have a husband to protect you like a lot of the other wives. You know, I remember situations where if somebody said something that pissed off one of the pastor's wives, you would get it from the husband. And I didn't have that. I didn't have that covering. Um, I had, you know, I had my best friend and he did his best to cover me. Um, He's the one that I was mentioning, you know, losing my brother. Like he, he did his best to protect me. 
Um, but because of knowing like the inner workings of all of this, I never wanted anyone to think that I was, you know, coming up on a boundary. I always really tried to respect the wives of the men that I worked with, making sure that I was within the proper boundaries. And so in Brady Boyd's 13 steps, he mentioned that we have to hold ourselves accountable and put ourselves in positions that protect us. And so at the time, I would say that I was at step eight out of 13 with a church staff member whenever I was listening to this. And keep in mind, like there was nothing romantic, but step eight out of 13 was just being alone with them without a third person. Um, And so after hearing this message, I really started to kind of check in with myself and start thinking about some protections that I could personally put in place. And so some of those were, you know, I wouldn't meet alone with anybody in a closed off space. The door always had to be open. Um, I wouldn't ride in cars alone with, you know, with a married man. Um, I wouldn't spend time alone with anyone unless they were a single friend. Um, If I wasn't in charge of the situation and I had to be in a room alone with somebody, I used the voice memo app on my phone and recorded the meeting. And that's one thing that a lot of people don't know about me. I be recording meetings all the time because (laughs) I like that is just a way to protect yourself. And legally, I know that sometimes you have to tell like in certain states, you have to tell people, yeah, I'm recording this, but that voice memo app has saved my butt a time or two. Let me just tell you. Um, uh, Then I also use my intuition and discernment. Uh, I can tell you times where I have been working in productions and, you know, I was at the audition phase and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, this person doesn't, mm -mm, there's something about this person. And then I would have fights with the other producers and they'd be like, but he was so good. And I'd be like, I don't care. This person, I've, I've just, there's something about them. And then they get to the background checked phase and turns out there's like multiple experiences of assault in his background check. And I'm like, told you, you listen <laughs> to me. Like that's happened multiple times. And so, you know, I just use my intuition and if I catch a vibe, I keep my distance. Um, And ladies, if I can tell you anything, always listen to your gut. It will not lie to you. That's, that's one thing I will tell you. And then when something inappropriate does happen, you have to bring it to their attention. Now I'm not saying you have to come at them, you know, and in a fighting mode, You can bring it to their attention with respect, but you can't just sweep it under the rug. Like you have, you have to bring it up. Um, And I recognize that that takes a certain amount of strength to do that, but be encouraged. It's worth it. So now with those protections in place, I want you to watch how people respond when you show them a boundary. That's how you're going to know the red flags. You know, I, 
I, I just talked about, you know, when somebody does something inappropriate, bring it to their attention. I've gone the Matthew 18 route and I went to that person and told them that their actions were inappropriate. And in turn, they gaslit me and asked me what I was doing to bring this upon myself. And I've let people know that statements were out of pocket and they told me I was just being sensitive. And I've been sent inappropriate pictures and was told that it wasn't sexual harassment and I just needed to let it go. These responses are red flags. And I know sometimes it's easy to have your love goggles on and, you know, think that, oh, well, that's my pastor. He would never do anything to hurt me, or that's my worship leader, or that's my children's pastor. You know, they're such wonderful, godly people. No, they are human. Everyone is human. And yes, they make mistakes. And I will be the first person to say that I've made my own fair share of mistakes. And Brad, I know you probably have too. We are not perfect. But there's a difference between making a mistake and making a consistent mistake. And there's a difference between when your family and your friends see that you're being abused and they tell you and you just brush it off and be like, oh no, they're just such godly people. No. When your family and friends are telling you that they see red flags, believe them. This is very common among abused people to not believe them until something really bad happens and opens their eyes to the abuse around them. And that's what happened to me. I didn't listen to my best friend for a year of her telling me, Aaron, you're being abused. Aaron, that's gaslighting. Aaron, that's manipulation. Aaron, what the hell? Like, can you not see that they are doing this to you? And the honestly, the light bulb moment was when I was sitting in the executive pastor's office at a church and they're telling me, what did you do to bring this upon yourself? And when that light bulb went off, it was like this fire just came up inside of me and I just, I blew. Like everything that I had bottled up for years, just, it just imploded. And here's the thing. I truly believe that God puts people in our lives that can see our blind spots. And like I said earlier, now that I have a toolkit to help me in these types of situations, I wouldn't have let it get that far. And so, you know, as far as red flags are concerned, make sure you don't have love, love goggles on. Make sure that you're watching people's responses. That's going to tell you whether they are a safe person or they're a red flag. That's uh, that's some amazing advice. Um, wow. Um, okay. So knowing that you now recognize these red flags and, and all that you've been through, what, what is some advice that you would give those who have experienced this kind of trauma in the church? Well, first, I would say, if you are experiencing discrimination of any kind, start making your exit plan. Get your coins together. Get your living situation together. Start looking for a new job. Like, literally, just do whatever you have to do to cut corners to see if there's a way to get out of this situation. Um, 
Secondly, and most importantly, report it to the EEOC immediately. The EEOC is a government agency. Don't wait to report it because they have timeframes from the date of the event that you like, you only have a certain amount of time to report. So don't go to your supervisor or your executive pastor. Find a lawyer that will work on contingency and file the complaint. I made the mistake of waiting and I found out about those time limits because of it. You don't have to make a big deal out of it. You can do this quietly and the EEOC protects you. So that's why you need to go to them first. And like, I hate to say it this way, but if you go to somebody on staff, you're not guaranteed to be safe. The EEOC can protect you from losing your job. That's why it is so important to go to them. So again, just to recap that, don't go to your pastor, don't go to the executive pastor, don't go to your supervisor, go straight to the EEOC at the first signs of sexual harassment or any discrimination. It could be racial discrimination. It like any kind of situation like that, look up the EEOC. And then finally, this is important, find a counselor. Find somebody that can walk you through a healing process that won't force you back into the environment where you experience the abuse. Find somebody like Brad. Brad's wonderful. It's okay if you need to take some time away from church. Jesus understands. I haven't been to church with the exception of a few times that I had to do some live service consults since November of 2019, and I have zero regrets. God is meeting me where I am, and he's allowing me to go on my healing journey step by step, and he's gently guiding me to the place where I am now so that I can help others. I guess I'll give this little disclaimer. I don't share this information with the intention of exposing the church. I've been accused of that in the past. And I think that's why I was so afraid of my own visibility. As I've deconstructed, I've realized that comment was made in an attempt to control me and control the narrative. And I share this with people to let them know that they're not alone. Like that's the most important thing to me. I want to share my story of how I healed to let people know that healing is available if you know where and how to find it. That's why it's important for me to share resources with everyone. I want to create a safe space where people feel heard and understood without judgment. That's why I created this podcast. I want the church to do better. I hope that eventually I'll be able to heal enough to where I can maybe attend church without getting triggered on a consistent basis. I want to raise my children, should I ever have them, in a loving and accepting church environment. But it will not happen if those environments don't exist. And that's why I urge pastors and church leaders, get your crap together. 
Really do a deep dive and question your interpersonal relationships with your staff members and congregants and ask yourself where there is need for improvement. And if you can't find that need for improvement, you're probably not looking hard enough. And then I also have another statement that I want to make to the congregation members that are listening to this. You cannot keep protecting your pastors from doing crappy things to people. This is why abuse keeps happening over and over and over in the church. It's because nobody speaks out and takes a stand against it and protects the people that have been victimized by church leaders. Congregation members, I beg you, stand up for what is right. That is what we are called to do as Christians. We are not called to protect the institution. We are called to stand up for the person that is hurting. You know, I'm naming this episode to the pastors that caused me trauma. And I'm going to end with this. To the pastors that caused me trauma, you know who you are. And maybe you haven't caused me trauma, but you've caused someone else trauma. I love you with the love of Christ, and I forgive you, but get your crap together. Your privilege and entitlement will only get you so far in life. And one day, all of the messes that you've created with your words and actions can and will get you in trouble. Heal the areas that you need healing in, and then try to make things right with those that you have harmed. I hope that you find what you need because the future of the church is depending on you. People are not going to tolerate being treated like crap anymore. I know I'm not, and I'm going to continue to encourage others not to tolerate it anymore. It is time to do better. I'll get off my sermon now. Yeah, that, that says it all. Um, thank you uh, for sharing uh, something that's so personally intimate to you, as well as others. I think that there are others that are going to listen to this podcast and, and realize that they themselves are suffering from abuse. They're going to realize that, yeah, that's a red flag and that's a red flag. And, and they're going to say, you know, I don't, I don't need to, to stay here for that. I don't need to sit there and endure this. And, and, and hopefully they'll take your advice and find a counselor and get their lives in order to where they can leave that situation and make the appropriate phone calls that you've mentioned um, in the order. That, that was something I've never heard of before. So I thought that was, you know, that's a, an excellent point that you've made. Um, I'm sorry that that you have um, suffered. There's no other way to put it, but suffered through what you've been through, as well as the many other women who have gone through the same and not been heard that need to be heard. So, Aaron, thank you for for sharing um, your heart. Thank you for being vulnerable um, and strong. Um, 
you know, uh, it's very courageous what you what you've done on this podcast today. And I can't thank you enough for for putting your voice out there and and sharing that. Uh, I was very courageous. And so I hope that other people to listen to this, uh, that you'll contact Aaron. If you have questions that you will, you will model the strength that she has modeled to break free from what you're, you're suffering with. So thank you, Aaron, for taking the time today and, and sharing this with us. Thanks for listening to the Touchy Subjects podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Touchy Subjects or join our Facebook group, the Touchy Subjects Community. We also have a Buy Me a Coffee page if you would like to consider contributing to our show. If you love the show, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so that we can continue to bring you episodes that you love. Thanks for listening and see you next time.